0: The Energy Transition podcast takes you directly to the cutting edge of the global energy sector's shift with a specific focus on the critical role played by oil and gas, as well as the pathways developing around a lower carbon future. Your hosts, Leslie Beyer, Energy Workforce and Technology Council CEO, and Dan Pickering, founder of Pickering Energy Partners, are joined by Josh Lowry, president of Upright Digital each episode engages industry thought leaders in an exploration of market moving trends and topics including new technologies esg capital markets inclusion and diversity workforce innovation regulatory influences and the voice of the people join us as the energy transition podcast looks at the state of the traditional energy and oil field service sectors emerging technologies and the path ahead in a world of lower carbon energy development.
1: Welcome to the Energy in Transition podcast. My name is Josh Lowry. We are coming to you live from the Fletcher Azul podcast studio in Houston, Texas. I'm your host, Josh Lowry, as I believe I just said. That's, I'm, I'm off my mark a little bit, Dan. This is, uh, it's been a while since we've been in the studio. In the studio, exactly. Uh, that voice you hear, the voice of an angel that you just heard, was the co-host extraordinaire, Mr. Dan Pickering. How are you, sir? I am well, thank you. Of Pickering Energy Partners. How is business going?
2: Well, we've had a few things happen since we were in the studio. A little Russia action, uh, oil over 100, natural gas is 7. There is a lot going on. There
1: is a lot going on. How busy are you? because it has been a minute since we've been in here. We we did a couple shows earlier in the year, then we had NAEP, and then it's been, it has been a couple of these um, global incidents have happened. What yeah. does that mean to you on a daily basis? Yeah. Um,
2: a lot more people interested in energy, uh, more media attention, more investor attention, uh, figuring things out. I mean, now it's it's, well, what does energy security mean? And it's also, are we going into a recession and what's the economy doing? And so there's a lot of different pieces since you know the beginning of the year. And I think we had a cyclical tightness in the oil and gas business. It's now becoming more structural with energy security as something that's real important to people you know, emerging from mm-hmm. the Russia crisis. And so um, I think we've turned a two or three year cyclical upturn into a five or six year cyclical plus structural, and that's a big deal. Natural gas is, you know, going crazy because the globe needs more of it, and we're gonna turn off Russia. So it's exciting, it's very exciting.
1: Well, so real quick, you mentioned the media. You, I had, I kind of made a funny post that how outmatched I am that you were on CNBC the other day and Bloomberg, yeah. we're. <laughs> but, so what what is a way that people, when you're not globetrotting to CNBC and Bloomberg, how can people get some of your notes or find out what you're saying on a daily, weekly basis. This is your free plug of the day, by the way. Yeah.
2: So Twitter at Pickering Energy, that's the most frequent communication I have with the world, if you will. Um, I write a monthly that's available to anybody that wants to sign up at pickeringenergypartners.com. And other than that, you need to be an institutional investor uh, to get everything else. So Twitter and the monthly are the right way to go.
1: Well, if I sound a little jittery today, it's because I'm on my third espresso. Uh, It's been, I I didn't sleep last night. We got a golf cart over the weekend and we drove this thing around and it's one of these four by four golf carts. It's amazing. I love it. But I took it into the depths of the woodlands, which is deeper than you might think actually, to where we found every undisturbed, uh, you know, thing that makes you sneeze, I found it yesterday. Wow. And I just, it locked me up in like five minutes. And I mean, I could barely get back to the house. So just make sure you're taking your Zyrtec. So if I'm jittery, I apologize. I didn't really sleep great. Three espressos. I mean, look, I'm already kind of hyper anyway, so this isn't that big a deal, but three is a little, a bit much for this early in the day. Yeah. On that note, let's just see if we can freak our guest out today. (laughs) Good morning.
3: Good morning.
2: Yeah, well, we're very, fortunate to have with us today, Robin Fielder. Robin's the EVP of Sustainability and Low Carbon Strategy for Talos Energy. And um, just to remind everyone, the purpose of the podcast, Energy in Transition, is to help educate people about what's happening in the world of energy, not just oil and gas, but but where oil and gas companies are going. And so, uh, Robin, you're a perfect guest for us because Talos is doing both. And so, if you don't mind, give us a little bit about you, and a little bit about Talos.
3: Yeah, sure. Thanks for hosting me. Welcome. So, as Dan said, Robin Fielder. I am a petroleum engineer by discipline, an Aggie engineer at that. Mm. Here, out of uh, Texas A&M University. We
2: won't I hold that against you. <laughs> you probably
1: caused a couple people to drive off the road there, but
3: perhaps. Yeah. Uh, but really got started in operations, like many uh, petroleum engineers, started off in production completions engineering, spent a good time doing some subsurface work, reservoir engineering, everything from uh, characterization to reserves to even some reservoir simulation. I'm not a simulation mm. guru, but I know my way around a model. Um, even to the point of running assets. So one, of the, one fun time in my career was at Anadarko running our Haynesville and Lower Cotton Valley assets building out both, not just the development team, but on the exploration side during $100 Oil back in 2013 and 14, Mm -hmm. so it was busy, a busy time. Um, Only to find myself wearing some different hats shortly after getting into the business side, some planning roles, including where I first met Dan, Mm -hmm. uh, moving into an investor relations role. So sitting in the the finance side of the house, ended up running that group at one point, so a, a lot of good stakeholder engagement over the years. And my last role inside the Anadarko family was running West, now Western Midstream, formerly Western Gas Partners, so it's Midstream MLP.
2: Uh, so you've done Upstream, you've done Midstream, you've done Investor Relations and Finance, you've done Operations. Um, you've been the president of a company. Wow. Yeah, that's a nice, <laughs> that's a nice <laughs> career. And you've been, you've, been through, you've been through a big merger, you've been through a takeover battle yes
3: it, yes very well publicized uh chevron came in with the bid on anadarko in 2019 and, and oxy followed suit so it was there until we closed that deal with occidental in in 2019 and then took a step back showed up at noble energy and running its midstream mlp noble midstream partners in 2020 interesting time as we all know what happened in yeah. in, in early 2020 and managed through the pandemic and another big mega merger when Chevron came along. So to Chevron's been following parent. you, that's right. <laughs> that's the rumor, you know, they, everywhere I go, that's where they show up. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we uh, took, uh, finalized that deal, took the MLP private last spring, uh, and that afforded me another chance to kind of take a step back and say, what's next? And uh, much like this, I started listening to a lot of podcasts on energy transition, attending some conferences, trying to really find, you know, where does my experiences and skill sets follow into this this new space, this mm-hmm. evolving energy space. And that's where I kind of kept coming back to carbon capture and sequestration, bumped into the Talos gang at a conference, and th- they were building out a portfolio very quickly, I might add. And so, you know, being a part of a very fast-paced team and getting into the space were both of interest, and that's how I ended up at Talos.
1: Wow. And- I have a, just a quick question. You, sure. you mentioned that you listened to a bunch of podcasts on this particular subject. One of our earlier podcast questions was where do where does somebody turn for information? And really, what I found was there's not a ton of places that you can go to. Did you find the same thing, or were there are there were there books or podcasts or YouTube or whatever that you found that were good places to go learn?
3: There's a handful yeah. of various energy transition ones. Um, but then again, it, a lot of it was just getting out there, going, attending some of these conferences and, and being open and willing to learn. It was, it was kind of self-education. Yeah. There were a lot of other things outside of CCS that we're getting to learn about, the hydrogen markets, how those are emerging, even geothermal, how does mm-hmm. that have its place, wind. So thinking about all of that. And again, I think that carbon capture and sequestration just hits on a lot of existing skill sets in traditional or conventional energy. And so it felt like a good fit for me. And that's where I came into Talos.
2: Yeah. And and it's interesting as a petroleum engineer, you were looking at energy transition. Did did that feel to you, d- did the further reaches of the energy transition, the the stuff that's not necessarily in the wheelhouse of a petroleum engineer, did that feel super far away or did that feel achievable for a uh, industry person?
3: It feels a little further away. Um, When I think back kind of just through my career path and and all the things we've conquered, I started off, we were working some unconventional reservoirs but in the vertical world, we hadn't yet drilled all the horizontals or gone into shale oil. I still remember um, a former boss once saying, man, if, if crude ever got to $40, we could get it out of shale and this could be a thing and now looking back i worked some exploration projects and even we had a prospect i believe it was ham sandwich that became the wolf camp years later inside the permian basin that we all know today so it's it's been a pretty exciting evolution and that's where i think we've just got a lot of creativity and innovation and within the energy space that we can go out and solve these big problems that Mm -hmm. address climate change and we can we can work together and collaborate to to come up with these solutions.
2: Yeah. Well, how did, so Talos has historically been an upstream focused company offshore. How how do we wind up with that company thinking about CCS?
3: Yeah, so Talos is a large independent EMP company focused in the Gulf of Mexico. It's It has a few predecessor companies that actually started along the Gulf Coast onshore, moved into the shallow water and then further offshore as the commodities really started favoring the liquids rich components uh, about 10 years ago. And so it's got that real expertise in conventional rock development when we think about true rock properties of porosity and permeability. Um, and it's got that operational expertise that's required to be a good operator in the deepwater Gulf of Mexico, all the requirements there, uh, particularly in a, in a post-Macondo environment. And so bringing that-
2: was the BP oil spill, just for those that are too young to remember.
3: Yes, a very tragic event. And so the whole space, the whole landscape in the deep water got, including the regulatory environment, got retooled. And so being a a key participant there and making sure we can all operate in in a good environmentally sound manner has always been paramount to TALOS. So a few years ago, TALOS set up an ESG committee um, had a number of different subcommittees, and one of those was to focus on energy transition and how Talos could participate in that. Uh, so Talos has its own ESG report now, a few mm-hmm. years of reporting on all things in both, or in all three categories, environmental, social, and governance. Uh, we've got our own greenhouse gas intensity reduction targets, and we've even stretched those. So we're very proud of those efforts and, and, and all things in what, how we're participating in the community. But really the, the advantage or, or the thought to get into the ESG space was to be a first mover and find a way to commercialize it. And so we're actually building a business around the energy transition space. Uh, we've got Talos low carbon solutions now focused on decarbonizing um, all these large industrials and commercializing that in a, in a reliable, responsible, and hopefully cost-effective manner. Because again, this has got to compete. It's a business segment.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A- and when you say decarbonize, so walk us through what that, that really means because we hear net zero, we hear lots of different things, but you said decarbonize these industrials. So what's that really, I mean, what's CCS really mean? How's it work?
3: Yeah, so we're, we're very mindful that we say decarbonizing because we think CCS is the first step. It's a natural starting place for an upstream company that has an expertise in the subsurface when we're thinking about storage. So carbon capture and sequestration, there's really three components to that. There's the capture piece, which starts with these industrial emissions sources, some sometimes called point sources. Uh, versus direct air capture this is you're going to some industrial emissions we've got a lot of those centers when you look along like a chemical the, facility the different or a industrial hubs that's right all along the gulf coast it could be like you said a refiner petrochemical steel lots of power generation and even some of these uh, newer lng facilities that are that are coming online They're, they will have associated co2 and other emissions So carbon capture and sequestration, the first component of that is to capture those CO2 emissions. So we have some existing technologies today that we've used in traditional oil and gas, um, amine. We we
2: the industry or you Talos? Uh,
3: We the industry. Okay. So we can use amine systems with some sorbents and solvents and such that we've used for for decades to clean up the gas, if you will, to pull the sulfur CO2 out of it. So Um, this would
2: be stuff coming out of the smokestack.
3: Right, we can use that to clean it up and um, get it to a more pure stream ready for gathering and then injection. S- but the, the cost of that is still very high. So it depends on how pure and how clean that stream is. So if you've got a very dilute stream that's only a, f- um, a small percentage of CO2 and it's got a lot of dirty particulates in it, the costs go up. So the the cost and the concentration are, are directly related.
2: And Robin, is that the cost to you, Talos, or the cost to the customer? Are they delivering yeah. you dirty fuel or dirty stream or a clean stream, clean We're trying, that's stream. That's a
3: great question. We're trying to be a little bit bespoke there. In many cases, these large industrials, they've got their facility. They're running on tight margins. They're focused on plant turnarounds. So they really want to control when they go and do this capture and install this new equipment on their existing facilities. And so in many cases, they're already doing some of these feed studies and they have intentions of going and adding this capture equipment on their own. And so they will be delivering us in many cases, a, a more pure CO2 stream that then we can gather, or transport, which is the next value chain c- component, and then sequester, which is a combination of drilling an injection well, obviously doing the injection into these large saline aquifers and then the monitoring piece, which is key for everyone to achieve credits, which I'm sure we'll touch on.
2: Mm-hmm. So three pieces, the capture, capture, transport, transport. and sequester. And so you're saying the companies do, the, the, your customers do some of the capture in many cases. So are you guys involved in the other two, the transport and the sequester?
3: Yes. That's been our focus. As a, as a subsurface company, uh, we've been out and getting the leases that are, that are going to be the storage sites, so that's the pore space, if you will. You go out and lease the surface, which owns the pore space. So we're on that far end of the value chain at the sequestration side. Certainly as an oil and gas company, we can play in the infrastructure piece and facilities, but in many cases, we've partnered with existing midstream companies that already have a strategic footprint in the area, so we can leverage that pipe. Um, but yeah, back on the on the customer piece, in some cases, uh, they may say, hey, we, we would like to have a low carbon intensive product that we can market, so if you can go and capture the equipment, again, if it's fairly, concentrated and clean already, we can do that for a reasonable cost.
2: And you might own the equipment as well. We might
3: own it as well.
2: Okay. And and so we've got industrials, we've got midstream, and then we've got uh, the sequestration piece. And maybe talk a little bit about the sequestration if you don't mind, because, so this is not, this is putting it into the ground. So pretend we know nothing help us with uh, what happens when that CO2 stream comes into your hands or gets into that pipeline and heads for your facility.
3: Great, so let's talk a little bit about the the pore space itself. So we're seeking these large salient or saltwater aquifers. So tremendous rock properties. Uh, We're looking for reservoirs that are basically dry holes, (laughs) if Mm -hmm. if you will. So instead of looking for where we've got hydrocarbons, we're looking for these nice porous permeable columns of rock that we can inject into so sequestration is 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 pretty straightforward it's drilling an injection well pressure. How, how
2: deep would this be i mean is it
3: in many cases it's it's about a mile deep we're talking several thousand feet to mm-hmm. upwards of ten thousand feet in some cases uh, but we've got tremendous pore space all along the US Gulf Coast. So there's there's no absence of pore space, but it's finding that pore space that's close to the emission sources to to keep our transport costs down. So you're talking about drilling a well, injecting at a at a high pressure. We want to push this CO2 into a supercritical phase. What's uh, that mean? So it means it's it's not quite liquid or gas, but it, it helps us with our injection rate so we can put more away, put more into the formation faster. itself yep. faster. So you can push more down a single well bore or a single injection well. And so we're looking to get it up to that pressure. And as we're injecting over time, we'll be monitoring, we'll have some monitoring gauges and some monitoring wells. And we can also leverage some various seismic technologies to get a snapshot of where the CO2 plume migrates over time. This will this will take years, but we ha- part of the requirement for these permits is the monitoring plan to show that we know where that CO2 is moving over time and that it's still being permanently stored in the rock.
2: Mm-hmm. So the key is we're gonna put it underground, it's going in and it's gonna stay there forever. That's it. And, and it's not just to trust me, you're saying you've got to monitor this. And so you do that by monitoring wells so you've got other wells that tell you where the CO2 is going somehow
3: That's right so for for each injector well we could have one or two monitoring wells depending on the scale of of the reservoir we're injecting into and we can have in-zone monitoring we can have pressure and temperature gauges above zone and then again using that other aspect of some seismic technology to help us get a an image of where the CO2 migrates over time. So we can, we can verify and really certify back to our customer that their CO2 is still permanently removed. And that will allow them to go file for both their IRS tax credit, which um, a lot of them require because the capture can be quite expensive. So they need to offset those capture costs. But also if they wanna play in the voluntary carbon markets of sell and selling and monetizing these offsets, so carbon offsets, they'll need to, to verify that that CO2 has actually been removed. And so that'll be part of our our service offering. Is there a
1: negative of putting it down there? Putting it uh, in these t- in storage reservoirs? reservoirs? Yeah. I mean, o- over time?
3: I wouldn't say a negative, but at some point, there may be some more utilization of the CO2. Mm-hmm. So there there's already some components and things that are made today where CO2 is actually a feedstock. Mm-hmm. So over time, as, as more Kay. technologies emerge that can leverage the CO2, we might find more utilization and less of a need for, for 100% storage. Mm-hmm. That said, we've got, again, tremendous storage capacity along the U.S. Gulf Coast and a lot of existing emissions before we even add any future developments and and new technologies so it's it's very important that we have all these components
2: so the irony might be 50 years from now we may want all this co2 for some input somewhere we may (laughs) seems seems unlikely if we're trying to get to to net zero that that will need it back but um, I guess you could just turn around and produce produce the co2 or is it gonna be store is it get down there and turn into cement or something
3: Part of it may might you know might may, may migrate out into the formation and certainly could we could see some mineralization inside yeah. the reservoir. Is there ability to, to pull some back out? Perhaps uh, will we be more developed on direct air capture or other sources to capture the CO2 probably as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's going to be an all of the above, yeah. to your point where there's there's a, a lot of CO2 emissions today and that number is probably only growing with yeah. more countries developing. So we're gonna need all of the above yeah, yeah. to tackle.
2: It's interesting. We're we'll gonna let Josh's scenario. successor and my successor and your successor figure. Which figure they will. <laughs> they'll figure out they'll some they'll cool new out. utilization yeah, techniques. Robin, let's go back to the customer for a second. So you mentioned something, you used the word voluntary. So. Put us in the mind of of a an industrial emitter. I know they don't necessarily like to be called emitters, but I mean that's what they are. So, you've got an industrial that has is generating CO two as a function of their of their business. Um, do they have to do something with this carbon? And what other options do they have um, besides calling Tallis and saying, "Hey, let's let's find a, a way to put this away."
3: So today, CO2 was just being vented to the atmosphere. You know, we're breathing it out, it's in our carbonated beverages, and at many of these facilities, it's just being opened air into the atmosphere. And so now we've identified that this is something we need to address after so much has been av- emitted for so long. And so part of it is the motivation here is not just for reporting purposes, although that's that's been newly proposed by the SEC, that public companies need to disclose their scope one, two, and now scope three emissions, perhaps there's this is open for comment period. Uh, But just reporting on that to provide that transparency on what what true emissions they have. Mm -hmm. So this could be related to them starting to disclose it if these public companies haven't been to date uh, to get a plan around it. Uh, the other interesting piece of this new proposal from the SEC is that if you've got a net zero goal or carbon neutrality goal out there, or even just emissions reductions goal, they want to see that you've got some steps and can show progress towards achieving that. So it's not just um, a long date out there and some shiny goal, it's it's got some meat behind it. Uh, so those are a couple of reasons folks might kind of <coughs> see a, a stick, if you will, on why they need to start coming up with a solution. Okay. But Uh, it's not a law
2: at this
3: point. It's not a law. There's a lot of pressure, probably both internal and external for most of these large companies. Right. Whether their their own boards of directors are pushing, they're hearing it from their all their stakeholders, including perhaps their shareholders, maybe even their debt holders, that something needs to be done here. Um, but there's a there's some carrots out there too. So we we talked about forty five Q, which is part of the IRS tax code. Today that number is there's a credit that can be achieved for for C- co two removal at fifty dollars a ton.
2: okay and and so if they can prove that they've grabbed it, moved it, and done something with it, they get this forty five q tax credit.
3: That's correct. They, 50 can cla- bucks a ton. they can claim that tax credit. Okay. So not everyone is in a tax position to be able to to leverage that. So one of the proposals going forward, um, in some new legislation, is that you will have not only an enhancement to that fifty dollars per ton, but direct pay, um, so that if a, if an entity isn't able to take that tax credit, they could monetize that and and put it um, either in a tax equity vehicle or or push it to some to somebody else to leverage. So that's that's one benefit.
2: So fifty bucks a ton, forty five yep. Q. So that's one. Keep going.
3: There are other markets to be had so there's the for instance the california low carbon fuel standard uh-huh. there's there's a handful of players that have access to that market they can achieve an additional credit uh, there are a few other states that have it and even british columbia has one so we're starting to see more markets evolve as far as being able to monetize carbon removal or carbon offsets uh-huh. so there's, there's ability the to, to, to stack these credits and get more more value or at least help cover the the cost to capture. Uh Um, The other piece is as I mentioned the voluntary market so there's the ability for for folks to actually sell offsets. Uh, So some of these harder to abate sectors they may not have the ability to directly influence their scope one two and three emissions so the only way that they can decarbonize is to to purchase these offset credits. So one way to do it is there's you know planting trees which you know, there's lo- there's a life to to a tree. Uh, you know, one of the nice things about carbon capture and sequestration is it is its permanency of being able to permanently uh-huh. store it. So they can buy these these offsets, um, and we've already seen an example of this at least in an announcement form, where Occidental had announced they had basically pre-sold some offsets to Airbus. So a hard-to-abate sector. Uh-huh. Um, we haven't seen the Airbus, terms of that.
2: Airbus, the manufacturer of Air, yes, Carolina. so yeah, the airline Air industry very planes. hard yeah. to
3: decarbonize. So we're, we're really seeing this market emerge here in the States. There's there's other carbon markets globally that, that folks can play into. Um, and the other, I think, carrot here is just to market a low carbon intensity product. So if you're an LNG producer, and you're selling LNG cargoes into Europe or Asia, you wanna be that supplier of choice. So you wanna show that you've got the, the cleanest source. Mm-hmm. So if you can show that it was decarbonized up front, uh, there's certainly an enhancement there. And if, and then the final piece here I'd say is, you know CCS is an enabler for all things in this blue economy. So whether it's blue hydrogen, blue ammonia, uh, that will enable some of these, these newer fuel sources to, to really develop
2: and and so there's a 45q there's lcfs or other credits there's voluntary offsets so you might get paid two or three different ways as a as an emitter if you will um do all those translate to i mean are these customers going to make a profit with all of these credits or is it just helping to defray the expenses
3: it's really helping to defray, especially when you're talking about retrofitting existing infrastructure. Yeah. Again, it's very costly.
2: Wh- what's very costly? Mean? Five million dollars, or 500 million, or 50, or
3: um, somewhere in in between, depending on how dilute or concentrated that is. I mean, these large scale full CCS projects, if you're if you're doing even just the transportation and injection side, these projects could be hundreds of millions of dollars and up, depending on the scale. Okay. So there's there's Not a lot of in- the equipment that the customers put yeah, on in place. top of the capture equipment. So that's, you know, I mentioned all these incentives. The other one is um, government funding. So we've seen some incentives out there. Uh, there's the DOE programs. There's the programs loans, the loans programs office. Uh, where folks can apply for some of this Department of Energy money to go fund some of their projects. Um, there's even to, um, to help with the borrowing side. So there, there's different incentives that we've got in the U.S., and there's a few other governments around the world that have some of these incentives, too, to try to help help really jumpstart uh, our ability to tackle the climate change and to get some of these energy transition technologies off the ground.
2: Mm-hmm. So at this point at this point it even with the credits it costs something for an emitter to wind up offsetting their carbon.
3: Usually so yeah. you kind of think of it as the the cost of doing business is going up. It's yeah. it's really an operating cost going forward, but it's also an opportunity again to to show that uh, they can decarbonize their existing assets and then perhaps depending on what the company is doing, what line of business they're in, creating some of these blue products for the future that hopefully have some stronger purchase power.
2: Sure, we've talked about carrots. What about sticks? I mean, the stick is tax and we don't have one. We don't have a carbon tax here. Do you think we will? Do we think we should?
3: I think it's so highly politicized that it's hard to imagine us having one here in the u.s you know just to the north in canada they have a pretty aggressive carbon tax that that steps up annually i believe so it's we we've certainly seen it in our nearby neighbors Uh but i i just think we will have a much harder time getting that kind of legislation passed i mean we've got bipartisan support on enhancing the incentives and yet we've we've still see that lag behind uh, granted, there are lots of things going on in the world right now sure. that, that need other attention. Um, I still think it's on the agenda. I'm not sure when it'll take place, but we, we need to see some more of the carrot and even on the regulatory side to get things approved. When you uh,
1: say it, it lags behind, you mean the industry lags behind and its desire to, to do this? Or what, what lags behind? The new
3: legislation to enhance the, the existing IRS tax code to allow for direct pay we're really wait- it. It was part of the Build Back Better proposal uh-huh. that failed to make it through. We saw several, both on the on the Democrat and Republican side, proposals come out of Senate and House members. So we've got bipartisan support that this will help incentivize decarbonization of the industrial sector. It's just a matter of timing. When will that get reintroduced? It's a midterm election, so there's there's a lot of forces out mm-hmm. there kind of working against it. But I do think that everyone is supportive of the concept and realize that, that we're gonna need all kinds of solutions if, if we really wanna achieve these long-term climate mm-hmm. goals.
2: Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what you guys at Talos are doing. So you've got four projects. So talk to us about why four, why not one, you know, why, and, and what's unique about the projects that that made you guys excited about doing them
3: sure we're taking a portfolio approach so that's that's the reason of why many and not just one our our first one was with the state of Texas there was there was an RFP last spring for the first-of-a-kind the first and only still to date um, offshore lease for CCS so it's offshore Jefferson County Texas starting right at the beach into the state waters and so Texas asked for this. Texas asked for this. Okay. That's right, and we partnered up with startup named Carbonvert and went and and bid on this, and we're the successful, apparent winner of that bid. And we have since uh, finally or finalized that lease and announced that that has been completed. So mm-hmm. that was our first first project here, again, leveraging Talos' expertise in the subsurface and even offshore ability to go and drill the, the sequestration wells and working together and partnering to figure out what does that onshore transportation component look like to service very large emissions hubs in the Beaumont-Port Arthur area, just north onshore. Okay. So, since then, we've had three other announcements. The other three are all onshore projects. Uh, so one is a very different concept we as we started approaching our new customer base these industrials uh we approached freeport lng and they came to us and said you know if you can if you can do a whole soup to nuts for us that would be great and you guys and you guys can keep the credit so um at talos we're going to be working together we've got a partner there as well uh, as we're we're going to be capturing the co2 it's it's pre-combustion. So you've got a fairly clean natural gas stream that we're cleaning off of. So it's lower cost. So we can use conventional amine solution here to, to capture that. And since it's, we're going to be doing it basically on site there, they've got surrounding acreage around their facility. So you don't really need a transportation solution. So that helps keep your costs low. And then we can drill and inject and monitor the wells, um, basically on site. So we can, can,
2: so you're, you're going to drill wells, to, to inject carbon right there next to Freeport LNG's facility. That's right. So uh-huh. we will operate kind of, within kind of the fence all line, three if you will. pieces
3: of that value chain. Mm-hmm. So the concept there is you can keep your costs low, you're sitting right on top of the emissions, you minimize any transportation costs and so we feel pretty confident we can even do that at today's 45Q tax credit of $50 per ton mm-hmm. and if we get some enhancement to that and that goes up to 85 or 100 or depending which proposal you look at, it's, it's much better. Uh, We'd have some, some exposure to that upside.
2: Mm-hmm. And Freeport gets to sell low carbon LNG.
3: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they're a supplier of choice when you're thinking about a low carbon intensive product. Mm-hmm.
1: That feels like a best case scenario for everybody, for them, for you. Wouldn't that be the ideal situation for anybody where it doesn't have to transport you to, the costs are low,
3: Yeah, I mean, you can can make it work at that. But the the thing is, you've got so many of these large hubs of large emission clusters that, if we really wanna make an impact, we need to do this at scale. And that's where you can build on the economies of scale too. So those are very contrasting, this this offshore, very large lease, more than 40,000 of contiguous acres. So we've talked about storage capability of 250 million tons of CO2 in, in that block versus a really small bespoke point source solution working with our customer freeport lng uh, there in freeport texas and then we've got two more of these potential hub-like developments uh, one we announced in louisiana with our our partner there in link it's called Riverbend. so it's right along the mississippi river tremendous emission sources um, in that region we're kind of situated in between baton rouge and mississippi if that helps you visually uh-huh and nlink has got a natural fit with us when you look at their infrastructure where their right of way is they're, di- they're tied in last mile of pipe to many of these customers and have a working relationship with many of these potential customers so it was great for us to contribute the lease they're contributing in their pipe and we're able to go to our new customer base with a kind of bundled solution and say hey we can do this ccs as a service for you as folks are going out and determining which captured technology they want to put on their equipment, we can kind of take it from there. Mm-hmm. In some cases, we might be able to offer and liaise on the capture side, but in many cases, it's uh, us picking up the CO2 at the fence line, transporting, and then injecting it.
2: So, InLink, in-link which has traditionally moved hydrocarbon products, they're now going to move carbon for a dollars per type of fee so it's the same it's the same business model just a different stream that they're they're managing
3: that's right and we'll we'll combine that with the injection f- piece as well our thought is we, we go in together and I can offer a a bundled fee mm-hmm. so you've got the injection and the transport combined right. right so again trying to be a low cost offering to mm-hmm. the customer base recognizing they have a high cost to capture the the co2 in the first place so we want to be competitive there and create something that that really works for everyone
2: yeah robin you mentioned just just to try and scale this a little bit your your big offshore project forty thousand acres you mentioned uh capacity to store 250 million tons um what's in ballpark for me what's the gulf coast produce in terms of annual tons of co2 i don't know so never ask a question you don't know the answer to i just failed the lawyer test right there but um i mean is that could that take all the emissions from the gulf coast or are we gonna have to have a bunch of projects no we're
3: gonna need a bunch of projects i think a fun stat or there are more than a hundred facilities that emit more than a than one million ton per annum a year okay so so
2: 100 million tons per year
3: at least that's from those from hundred
2: facilities, that's at least. right.
3: So there there's plenty of missions to be had out there. Just the Mississippi River corridor, I believe we've talked about eighty million tons per year just in that region. And and so I'll hop over to kind of our fourth and most recent project announcement over in Corpus Christi area. We we're calling it Coastal Bend, naming for oh. the region. So very similar to what we did in River Bend, we've partnered with a midstream provider in the area, Howard Energy Partners. And they they too have an infrastructure network and last mile of pipe in the the refinery row there in the south side of the bay in Corpus Christi. So they've got that right away, they've got those customer relationships, Uh, they've got some pipe on the north side of the bay as well. And so it was a natural fit for us to go and partner with them. And so as we approach our new customer base to have that bundled solution um and we're actually leasing from the Port of Corpus Christi so they're they're highly supportive of this project and want to see how CCS can be an enabler for some of the new blue technologies in in the region you know Corpus Christi exports a lot a lot of crude today sure. but they want to get into whether it's blue hydrogen blue ammonia
2: so they want folks coming there building new manufacturing facilities if you will processes and the fact that they can do it with a low CO2 should attract them to Corpus versus somewhere else.
3: Exactly. So if there's a CCS solution in the region that will enable some of those new investments. And mm-hmm. so that's that's part of the concept. We'll start at a demonstration scale and hopefully scale it from there. And that's where um, a lot of the growth really comes from in the economies of scale of, once you've got that backbone infrastructure, you've got a few injectors, injection sites, then it's all those incremental emissions that come in that that can really make the projects not just economic, but give them some longevity.
2: Mm-hmm. And and you said once you've got a few, you know, wells or customers injecting, uh, talk to us about the permitting process to be able to inject. And, and so I know that I hear that as a limiting factor or a, a gating factor in terms of timing. So walk us through the nuance of getting a permit to inject CO2.
3: Yes, the, the permits are certainly a critical path item. So today to do injection, it requires an EPA class six sequestration permit. So there's there's heavy regulation on this as it sits in the state of Texas and Louisiana. Uh, these states- From the
2: fed, federal from government From the federal level? government. Mm-hmm. So
3: EPA is Department of Interior. So there's some high standards there to help protect drinking water and so there's a rigorous process uh, and application very lengthy application to do not just the construction but the actual injection piece and it's to ensure that we've got a good working model of the subsurface we can we can predict and history match once we have injection where we think the co2 is moving and migrating to again to really just confirm that it's still being permanently stored in the in the pore space everyone wants to see that it has it has not escaped and it's it's being held there. And so part of going through this process we're out collecting data that will that will uh, submit as part of our application for these permits to ensure that when we submit we've got a complete package and it doesn't get kicked back because mm-hmm. if it's critical path we want to keep things moving. And that's where the states both the state of Texas and Louisiana are talking about Seeking primacy, Louisiana has already applied for this. Where the state regulatory body, and in, in the case of Louisiana, be the Department of Natural Resources, and in Texas, the Railroad Commission, would be the regulating authority over these permits. One, because they're they've got the resources, you know, better staffed, and and two, just the f- familiarity of of these of this kind of work. Uh-huh. We we do saltwater injection permits in both states, so there's. There's a lot of understanding of, of these kind of processes already, and, and so that's, that's the hope. It's really just to expedite the timing of these permits so that way we can keep these projects under a quick timeline and, and help get them to first injection.
2: Yeah, and quick timeline, w- what would be, if you pick, looked across your four projects, um, what would be a quick timeline? I mean, we're injecting this year, we're injecting two years from now, what's the... Timeline.
3: since Freeport LNG is a is a point source bespoke solution for a single emitter that will probably be our first project that has first injections and we've talked about late 24 early 25 okay. so you know kind of a mid-cycle three-year time timeline versus these hubs will take a, a little bit more extra time and mm-hmm. a lot of that's pending getting some of these first anchor tenants or anchor emitters if you will subscribe to the project mm-hmm. where they're committing the volumes to it so we can we can get out there and and get financing yeah. and move ahead
2: does does i think we heard exxon make a comment about a hundred billion dollar you know carbon hub if you will does that make them your competitor in this process or are how many people are competing for emitter volumes
3: there are quite a few folks that are getting interested in this space mm-hmm. i think just the delay of Build Back Better has, has muted that somewhat, but everyone is very interested in, uh, in, in playing in the, the carbon capture space. Uh, they could certainly be um, both a partner or, or a competitor, as with many of these, and that's where we're kind of trying to find these strategic partnerships all along. The way we're like where we've partnered with both NLink and Howard, mm-hmm. if you've got somebody who's got a, a key component of the value chain, and perhaps even some of the large emitters if if they want to partner with us. Um, some of these large emitters already kind of play in, in the different gas spaces, if you will. So mm-hmm. they uh, they may really want to learn. And so there's there's a lot of folks that want to play it in different ways. Some are more interested in the capture side. Some are more interested in the downhole side, and some want to do all everything along that value chain and so it's it's really trying to figure out who's playing where and where can you create that low cost option because there's lots of poor space there's lots of emissions uh, but it's not all created equal if, if you can keep those close to each other and minimize the transport costs i think you have a higher likelihood of of a real viable project where you can offer a, a competitive rate how to is, a customer uh, how
1: does talus run into an end link or a, a howard are they looking for you or are you looking for them is it does it are you guys looking for each other? I mean, how does how does that partnership happen?
3: <laughs> a, l- a little bit of both. Yeah. I mean, when you're thinking about the Port of Corpus Christi, you know, we're going and talking with them. Howard's so you very knew where now. you wanted to go then. We knew where we wanted to go. We knew we know where the emi- the emission hubs are, where the clusters of mm-hmm. emissions, well, if you will, the poor space is somewhat everywhere when we think about all along the U.S. Gulf Coast. So it's it's trying to to find who has a good footprint or who has, you know, maybe anchor emissions in these regions mm-hmm. and are natural fits.
2: Yeah. Has there been a, you talked about locations seems to matter, look, you know, close, being yeah, close to Yeah, just like emitters. in real estate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So has there been a, a land rush to grab um, quality, poor space or, you know, near, near these emitters or is that already all taken up? How. What's going on on the surface, if you will? There's
3: definitely a bit of that going on right now as we're negotiating leases with private landowners. Mm-hmm. There's only been the one offshore lease sale, and that was the state lease sale uh, today, which date, you guys won, which which we secured. And so the state of Texas hasn't put anything else out yet, nor the state of Louisiana. Um, and we're waiting to see if the if the federal government wants to open up the federal waters. That has yep. yet to be seen. We know that they're interested.
2: Hmm. do do we think tie back to this energy security dynamic do you think um we're going to see washington get better or easier around timing are they going to push to get these permits done for instance because we want more LNG, we want more you know um we want more action if you will
3: i would certainly hope so i i think as we're thinking about energy needs and it being plentiful, reliable, which we, we know means secure and, and affordable, we, you've got to have all these pieces and in order to have that, you're going to need a myriad of solutions. And so I think if, if we really want to make change, we really want to make a dent in our, our climate goals and we want to have energy that's that's very ESG focused and, and responsible, then I think the more we can do here at home, the better off we are. So hopefully we'll we'll continue to see that support we've got some additional regulations passed to, to be supportive of, of these decarbonization initiatives because there's a lot of people that wanna go out and play in it. But if we've got gating factors, like mm-hmm. getting permits approved, um, there is a place where they can be an enabler.
2: Yeah, Robin does, does when we think about a lot of people that wanna play, you said a lot of people wanna play in this. Um, how are you finding kind of outside sources of finance willing to play here? Are there a bunch of infrastructure funds that want to come in and, and be a part of this, or is it all kind of risk equity? To Talk a little bit about financing a, a CCS project.
3: I think it's really exciting. Once you've got all those kind of ingredients in place, you've you've got the anchor emissions, you've got a transportation and storage solution, and you can show you've got all those value chain components in a project, uh, I think there's gonna be lots of opportunities. We're, we're seeing a lot of your traditional infrastructure funds, private equity, uh, even some new ESG focused funds that mm-hmm. are, are really interested in this space. And uh, the CFO and myself take a lot of those meetings and we, yeah. s- we spend a fair amount of our, our, our week every week uh, involved in those en- engagements because we wanna make sure we understand all the options. The good news is there are a lot of options as long as we structure um, our portfolio and our individual projects and their their contracts in a way that's financeable. And if, if we think about a midstream like approach where you've You've got a tolling model. I think most people can get their heads around that, and and we can finance around it. And so that's um, that's what's great. Once we get to that point and we have all the the ingredients, uh, I think we'll have lots of opportunities on how we fund it, and then it'll just be a matter of mm-hmm. at, at what cost.
2: So then it's not it's not necessarily this is not a three hundred million dollar project that all has to come off of Talos's balance sheet. This is something where you're investing in developing the capabilities, the partnerships, the contractual arrangements, and then we're gonna find a lot of other investors who wanna-
3: That's right, we have partners in all of our projects today. And back to your earlier question of why why many and not one, it's mm-hmm. it's, it's the portfolio approach. Uh, we don't necessarily have to operate all of these at the end of the day. We, we like to maintain that, that agility and that speed up front, and we feel like we can be a, a driver of that in the early stages but we want to create value in projects and we'll find ways to um, to build that out and you know hopefully many of these are still in the portfolio
2: mm-hmm. and um, you create a portfolio of opportunities over time or you're not in this for charity this is a business um, do you see this as being a as big a business as talus is today i mean can it be sister companies or are you always going to be the the little brother, little sister kind of business. Well,
3: we recognize we're not the the generator of cash flows today, uh, but we we have bold ambitions, mm-hmm. and yes, we do think we could grow this side of the house to be to be as big as the oil and gas side, just because of the tremendous need out there, and and our ability to get out there very quickly and execute on large scale projects. So and. And the value ascribed to this, uh, we've we've seen some interesting multiples out on the the few names that are that are public and getting into the CCS space, and so we're we're excited about it. And Investors
2: are willing to pay a lot, you're saying, for this kind of a business. Exactly. That would be consistent with all the, the <laughs> hype around uh, energy transition. So there's sure. hype,
3: but I, I think there's something behind it too. It's yeah. it's about that contract portfolio, and if you if you can get it set up right, mm-hmm. uh, there's some longevity to them, and so f- so folks can can easily yeah. understand it. So
2: these could be 20 year contracts or 10 year contracts. Yes. Or,
3: yeah, yeah. long term. Hmm. You can kind of think it like a like LNG offtake.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Just for reference, I looked so i'm i'm pushing on this because it's a big number so talus had a 400 million dollar revenue for uh fourth quarter that's before commodity prices made this next leg up but um so you're saying this could be a really you know hundreds of millions of dollars revenue type opportunity
3: it could be and it could be beyond ccs you know we we talk about building out a decarbonization portfolio CCS could be the enabler for us to go participate perhaps in one of these new blue ammonia plants, for instance. So Mm. uh, we're- So become
2: a producer of things other than oil and gas. That's
3: right, we're thinking beyond not just CCS, uh, but beyond the Gulf Coast as well, looking Mm -hmm. in other regions and and places where we can diversify even out of uh, just being, or or leaning on the the tech, or sorry, the US 45Q, Mm -hmm. uh, thinking in other jurisdictions. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, the partnership aspect of what you're doing of keeps the collective brain power if you will open to those types that's of that's right and
3: we recognize we're all still learning so leveraging right. from others lessons learned and best practices that's as some of these projects are started up around the globe that's that's key
1: that's so. really key yeah. josh
2: i'm about to i'm about to shift from ccs to sustainability unless you've got any other carbon capture question i
1: don't i i, I really did as i looked through your notes getting ready for this um, and then I realized how you two had met earlier years ago when you were in i r Does this feel like how he used to treat the the <laughs> i r calls you you had the the calls that were supposed to happen, and then well that 's a really interesting point let 's go four levels deeper than this. Does this take you back to the old days
3: i 'll say this is how they usually go <laughs> yes yes <laughs> they're Just not they're not all as, as smart as Dan who can ask the really sophisticated questions um um but many are, and so yes it it feels quite familiar okay good
2: and and do you find investors are now asking a lot of questions about this part of absolutely. The business?
3: absolutely fifty percent to seventy five percent of our i r meetings are focused on kind of this energy transition space yeah. and what we're doing here. I think a lot of it is still educational, it's new, and people want to understand. Um, how we think about it and and how they should play in it as well right. so there, there's the education piece for sure um, but it's exciting it's it's potentially a new Even high with growth with the business. increase
1: in the traditional oil prices oil and gas prices yeah. they're still asking
3: it's both too if it, you know if we can if we can see some of that multiple enhancement in the tallow stock it hopefully enable some additional currency for Talos to go and continue to, to grow through acquisition. That's mm-hmm. That's been part of Talos's growth platform to be the second owner of offshore assets and, and leverage existing infrastructure. So we kind of complement each other with the two business lines today if, if, if we continue to be successful on the, the low carbon solution side.
2: I was gonna, w- what you were saying, makes sense investors are very curious. I mean, is there tension? Does it create tension within the company where where I'm sure the oil and gas people, right, your, your team are saying, we're minting money, we're throwing off all this cash, and all people wanna talk about is these projects that don't start until 2024.
3: <laughs> I think there's excitement around around the company. Everyone's yeah. excited about what we're doing. Not everyone's in the weeds on the day to day on on what that is, but and then my team has to respect the other side as well. Again, knowing you bet who's generating the cash you flow bet. and 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 running the day to day. Well, anybody who's
1: been through the last, I mean, pick your number. You can pick one, three, seven, ten year
3: the roller coaster correct (laughs) you know
1: that if they've if they've been through that roller coaster they understand that what you're working on is only going to benefit them yeah we're
3: we're solving big problems and we're evolving and everyone loves to see that that we're evolving and being a progressive energy Mm -hmm, company
2: mm -hmm. so sustainability is your other job title um what's what does that mean for an upstream oil and gas producer
3: Well, the CCS is just one good example of that. It's thinking about, do we have a sustainable asset base? Mm -hmm. So even in a one and a half degree scenario, and- One and a half
2: degree temperature rise to net.
3: That's right. Paris agreement. Mm -hmm. If we think that there's going to be a long-term reduction of demand for our product, do we have some alternatives? So it's it's kind of a built-in hedge when you think about building out a decarbonization portfolio, as well as continuing to develop- Um, oil and gas properties being in an offshore player we've we've got a natural inherent lower carbon intensity because we're aggregating very large volumes in in the deep water to just a handful of facilities so you're already kind of limited on your emission sources Um, but that doesn't stop us from continuing to look at ways we can reduce those own emissions but it's and it's beyond just that piece it's it's just responsible ways of, of working being a part of our communities giving back doing a lot of stakeholder engagement um especially now as we're moving into some of these new regions with ccs we've, mm-hmm. we've spent a fair amount of time getting out and, and meeting with um, some of the local leadership such as uh, all around the port of corpus christi did a, did a good outreach program there um, and then even on, on the governance side and, and do we do we marry some of these initiatives to executive compensation for instance mm-hmm. and and showing you know that we put our money where our mouth is and so all of these things are important we've got that built into not just executive compensation but our our annual bonuses where it's not just hsc like most upstream companies have had we've got emission reduction targets and um, even progress and milestones that we're doing within the ccs team as as part of our incentive so it's it's great to see that we're all aligned and that's where it comes back to both sides of the house supporting each other because we both have key contributors to those metrics that we're working toward each mm-hmm. year
2: and, and your your career you know certain parts of it in particular i know you did a lot of benchmarking versus other companies in the industry and so you're you're probably uniquely qualified to answer this question so the the oil and gas business gets a lot of flack for greenwashing and you guys aren't serious about this, your you're window dressing. Um, what you're talking about sounds like more than window dressing. I mean, do you think this industry is doing more than window dressing? Is it serious about this stuff? I
3: think so, because I, I think people see a way to commercialize this. And again, it's just the next evolution and the next step of energy as as we've got more alternatives and, and new fuel sources emerging it's you see especially the majors saying how can we participate and how can we get a piece of that in our portfolio whether it's through some of their venture investments or going out and developing projects on their own I think it's just the next step the next natural step Uh and and we've got a lot of very smart technical folks that love to solve big problems and um, and I, I feel like we're best suited to do that inside our own industry and so that's where it's it's not just a need i think it's an excitement and people are happy to 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 participate and to to play in it
1: agree i do i mean that's part of the whole reason we started this was or you know the podcast is that we believe very sincerely that these solutions are going to come from our industry it's not going to come from outside of the industry and it is going to take the, ex- the experience of what you're calling you know inside the house it's you know the, the both sides talking to each other about here's what worked here's what didn't work and so couldn't agree with you more on that it is going to take
3: and lots of collaboration Absolutely. I, I think there's going to be i hope there's going to be more sharing in this in this leg of our evolution because i think we need to learn quickly as a as a collective i think that's
1: the part of most i've enjoyed i've enjoyed the entire conversation but the partnership the outside partnerships i don't know if i hear that a lot much anymore i really like that Hey, we're reaching out. We like the uh, these ideas. Let's go to these pros in this area and see what they've got. Yeah,
3: and we've got some technical alliances too. We've we've announced Technique FMC, uh, helping us with some of our pre-feed work with uh, Corelab. There, we're um, going to contribute some core to the CCS um, consortium there. So, mm-hmm. trying to to learn together again to tackle these
2: big problems. Well, Ofield yeah.
1: Services puts out lots of technology. Yeah, and they, they're proud of their role in this as well. I know that. Yeah.
2: I'm <clears throat> I've said before, I'm skeptical we can get to net zero by twenty fifty unless we do a lot of this stuff. Right? It has to be it has to be fast and efficient for sure. Uh Robin, what else should we talk about before we go to the infamous lightning round?
3: I think you did a pretty good job job of drilling me Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> you did yeah. a great job. We covered a lot of ground today. We did co- we did there's a lot there's oh, a lot oh, to talk oh. about, but we I think d- we, we did hit co- on a lot we of it. we did
2: cover a lot. Um so before we do the lightning round, um, Josh asked me how people follow me, if you will. How do we follow what you're doing? What's the what's the best way to kind of keep track of what Talos is doing?
3: Yeah, uh, talosenergy.com. We've kay. got our investor page. We've got a sustainability portion too. If you're interested and want to go check out our, our past ESG reports, continuously adding to that and, and growing that each year as we enhance disclosures and and just do do more about telling our story and yeah. how how we're contributing
2: do do each of your projects do you have a i mean is there a web page or a a, a fact sheet or is there a way to track riverbend or coastal bend um
3: we don't have a separate page yet but we do have kind of some individual once one sliders on okay. each of these in our most recent investor packs so okay on the website there on the website okay. so we'll continue to to update that as we develop these projects great maybe get some cool logos for each too yeah yeah
2: <laughs> well they, they all end in bin everybody
3: likes their logo design they yeah do. so far it, for yes. Freeport LNGs, just for them but yeah they're all bins Bayou okay. bin river bin and coastal bin
2: okay well I'm sure the next the next time we have you on there will be more bins in in the portfolio so Josh and I are gonna go back and forth what we what we like to do is we like to finish with some fun and so right. we put together this list of yes or no's or you know one word answers so you don't get to this just to to help know you a little bit better and so I
1: failed miserably when I did this the first time. I, I not one answer I gave ever stick was stick to the one, one word. Yes. yes, Okay. So, so we'll you'll notice you the from the first response. the first
2: podcast, I asked Josh to answer it as well as our guest. Brutal. No, now he's in the Q and A session, out. You're so he doesn't have, it. have I'm that. Out. <laughs> Yes. Yep. <laughs> so I, I will start. Um, coffee or tea? Coffee. Cash or crypto? Cash. Mm. London or Paris? London. Soccer or baseball?
3: Baseball.
1: Uh, Yes, today's a big day.
3: Mm Mm-hmm, opener.
1: (laughs) Hamburgers
2: or pizza?
3: Ooh, that one's tough. Pizza.
2: That's a tough one. Puppies or kittens? Mm. Puppies. Okay. Near and dear to our heart here in Houston, United Airlines or Southwest Airlines?
3: Uh, United.
1: S&P 500 for the rest of 22, (laughs) bullish or bearish?
2: Bullish. Um if you had to pick wind or solar solar will
1: there be a carbon tax in the united states by year-end
3: 24
2: no also near and dear to our heart in houston rice or u of h
3: rice
1: you're giving me the easy ones (laughs) yeah yeah
2: exactly (laughs) i'm
3: trying to follow the rules um
1: over under for uh for first meaningful gulf coast ccus injection 2025.
3: Under.
2: Okay. okay. The reason the questions were ordered this way is because I wanted to ask this one. Yes. Which is Shawshank Redemption or The Godfather? Shawshank.
1: You know they're making a new Godfather. Seriously? Um, oh, yes. It's that. some. It's on Netflix. I, I'm going to screw this up. It's one of these streaming services. is making like the prequel prequel. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it's going to be a series. Mm. So there you go. So not Shawshank. Very hard,
2: up. very hard to. Um,
3: as long as we can binge, watch it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, exactly.
1: that's the worst. You're up till whatever time of night. Yes. Um, will the Houston Texans make the Super Bowl in the next decade?
3: Ooh. Yes.
1: Oh. Ah.
2: You are wrong on that, if, but that's if, fine. If you would have said it with conviction, <laughs> yeah. If you would have said it with conviction, I'd have felt better.
3: Maybe if you say it, it'll happen. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Robin Fielder. Thank you so much for joining us. You're the EVP of Low Carbon Strategy and Sustainability at Talos Energy, and we really enjoyed having you. www.talosenergy.com. Thank you for being here. We'll have you back again in a couple years to give us an update on all the projects. Great. Thanks for hosting. Thank you. Thanks for coming.